Welcome to episode five of the Think Tank podcast, brought to you by the Digital Innovation Group at Providence Health. Think Tank is a supercharged brainstorming session between two leaders from different verticals to help us solve some of healthcare's biggest challenges. This is Kelly Stonelake. Thank you for listening. Today, we will be discussing leveraging data to activate more personalized experiences and create value for customers. Joining us today is Shweta Panapa, Providence Health's Group Vice President, Leading Digital Experience, and Doug Milliken, who is a 32-year employee of Clorox and Senior Vice President, Leading Digital Channels and Experience. Welcome, Shweta and Doug, and thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. When most of us think about personalized experiences at their best, combining consumer data with technology to deliver individualized marketing and product experience to consumers, we're probably thinking about things like the Amazon landing page or Starbucks mobile app or Netflix's ever-evolving content recommendations that keep us hooked. In other words, healthcare and CPD aren't the first sectors that come to mind. Can you both share a little bit about when and why creating personalized experiences became a priority for you and how your respective organizations are approaching it today? Awesome. So, yeah, I'll share a little bit about the why first and then maybe talk about the when. So there's greater and greater competition in in the market for almost every consumer product there is. There's growing consumer power as well. And all of this has eroded the traditional product or service-based differentiation that existed. These days, if brands want to attract and retain their customers, the first realization we have to come to is that we can no longer compete on products or price. And really, the customer experience has become the competitive battleground across brands to keep their customers. And the crucial part of this is making the customer journey easier and more fulfilling for them. And so that's where personalization comes in. That's why this is interesting to us because personalization is what creates that relevant individualized interaction between us and our customers to enhance that experience. So that's the why. As far as the when, um, so I've been shopping on Amazon since 2002, proud Prime member since 2005 when it came out. Ten years later, I find myself working at Amazon and I find myself not just enjoying the fruits of personalization, but actually having a part in creating it for our customers. So in terms of the actual real importance of personalization, I realized the fruits early on, first with Amazon, then most notably with Netflix and having, like I said, a part in seeing how things worked under the hood. I was hooked. Yeah, it's interesting because our businesses are so different, healthcare and consumer products. But actually, the the concept that we need to move beyond products and price and that experience is what we compete on is actually the exact same place that, that we've gotten to at Clorox. There were two events, I would say, that came together to spark our orientation towards personalization. The first one was this whole you know, emerging field, now a very mature field of consumer experience. And we realized when we were looking at, at, at that idea, it was a really powerful paradigm shift for a company like us. We're very consumer oriented, but we're very brand focused. The brand is kind of the center of the solar system and our consumer packages were organized around brands, Hidden Valley Ranch, Brita Water Filters, Clorox. But then you know, we realized, well, 
people don't wake up in the morning saying, boy, I, I, my goal in life is to become a loyal advocate of rhythm. Right? They wake up thinking, you know, I want to have a healthier lifestyle, and they're looking for, for help around that. So we started to, to see that the concept of consumer experience, where you think about consumers have goals, and then they're on a journey to, towards that goal, and then they're trying to find brands or services that help them, is that's really a consumer-oriented way of thinking. And, and so we began to, to, to evolve to this shift from brand-focused to consumer experience-focused. That then kind of intersected around the same time that there was all this innovation around data and technology that would enable a company like us to actually be able to personalize at scale. Because a company that sells things for three or four dollars, you know, we never could afford to do any kind of one on one to one or even really um, sort of mass customized. But all of a sudden, with Moore's Law, cloud computing, all of this innovation, the cost of all this came down and the technology wherewithal became available. So now, if I just stick with this Brita example, one of our brands, we can identify, is that person out there a user or a non-user of Brita? Are they motivated by health or are they motivated by stopping using bottled water and of its plastic? Do they buy online or are they buying in stores? All of a sudden, now we can personalize across the entire experience because these data signals, we can capture them, we can bring them in, we can store them, analyze them, and activate on them. So now we say we're really a, an experience company, and our goal is to personalize every consumer interaction, and the, the data and technology is available to us. So all of that really emerged for us probably starting about four years ago when we've been trying to build that capability and, and evolve our orientation to do that over the past four-ish years. When we think about, as you said, Doug, that consumer journey to accomplish your goals, healthcare, the products I bring into my home, the products that I use to support my family, they are some of the most personal decisions that we make as consumers. I mean, you, you sure can learn a lot about people by understanding those behaviors, right? Across healthcare, across CPG, and some of those journey-oriented products that, that you mentioned. How are you both thinking about creating valuable experiences for people without freaking them out because these are such personal domains? Healthcare especially, this becomes a big issue. Uh, customers entrust a lot of data with us and <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. And we have the responsibility of protecting our consumers' data. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the good news is that consumers across industries expect the collection of their data and they expect that they will get personalized messages. And in many cases, they actually welcome it. The bad news is that it's so easy for us as brands to turn off our own consumers by by uh, kind of having this black box of how are we showing them these personalized messages so transparency becomes such a big um, such a big factor in how well consumers receive the personalized experiences we deliver to them they're, um, I think they're especially interested in these personalized experiences when we can prove that we both understand their needs and we have something helpful to offer when it that can connect to their needs. Um, so when it comes to this, and uh, I'm going to get a little technical here, but the, the, the biggest thing we can do right now 
is leverage our first party data as much as possible. So first party data is data that we as a healthcare system have gathered from our customers on our own and are safeguarding it. Second, third party data is data uh, that we can get about our customers from third parties. So first party data is the most, is, is almost like the holy grail of personalization. It also provides a protection in this whole shifting regulatory landscape. And it hopefully it helps avoid the whole creepiness factor by using data in the way that our customers expect them to. And what Doug, what you were sharing earlier about um, how Clorox uh, looks at uh, uh, the company as an experienced company, I imagine personali personalization plays a big part in custom in in actual product discovery as well, right? Because you you guys have so many brands and so many products that you have to offer. Um, it, it becomes a really interesting story there of how the data floats or goes in between brands to deliver even better experiences. Yeah, for sure. And this this question about freaking consumers out, um, it's interesting because it's, it's, again, what Shweta is saying is uh, so similar to actually how we're thinking about things. But it, to some extent, goes to how we define personalization um, because it's um, it's kind of a big mushy word. It means a lot of different things. People can um, understand it in different ways. And, and actually our early experience when we were beginning to evangelize this concept of personalization, we didn't get right off the bat. We, we got a lot of skepticism because a lot of people took it to mean this very one-to-one -one relationship. And particularly our business leaders, our general managers thought that, well, that, that sounds really small, really niche for a business like us, really expensive. And I'm not so sure I'm interested in that, but actually that wasn't really how we were thinking about it. We, we've been defining and, and now do define personalization more about the matching the right target with the right content at the right time. And so a lot of that is actually just kind of mass customizing things. So just as another example for us using, um, say, Hidden Valley, which is one of our uh, brands, um, we, we may just use data signals to understand, well, here's somebody. A lot of people use ranch to kind of jazz up their meal. So put a little bit of ranch in a, in a burger put it on some chicken and it kind of can transform an ordinary dinner into something a little bit more interesting. So, um, but we may have a data signal that says, Oh, you're, you like chicken recipes and you know, it's a, it's, it's a weeknight. And so maybe what we do is serve you a chicken recipe on a Monday afternoon. Um, but we may get a, somebody else, maybe a data signal that says, Hey, I think this is somebody in a family and it's Friday night and it's pizza will serve you a recipe about how to use um, ranch on your pizza. So they're kind of large sort of customizations. It is personalizing, getting the right target to the right um, message. But we're generally not communicating at a true one-to-one -one level where people would understand that and see some, something where it crosses the line. So we're concerned about the freaking people out, but generally... The customization, we think of it as something that people will find incredibly helpful or will be actually almost seamless to them. They have no idea that, you know, we understand that it's a Tuesday chicken dinner and that recipe is like, oh, perfect, you know, because one of my goals is to have a, 
a great weeknight, easy, but family pleasing meal. And boom, that just kind of helped me. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from both of you is that that notion of freaking people out probably has a lot to do with not all having the same definition of what personalization means, right? And so in the example you gave, Doug, with your general managers having that having an expectation about what personalization means versus what it actually means to Clorox, what I'm hearing is at Clorox, it's about relevance. At Providence, it's about connecting people to valuable experiences, what do you both see as your finish line or your end goal? And how is this personalization and, and your unique expressions and, and interpretations, adoptions of personalization in digital helping you get there? Yeah, so um, Providence is a, is, is a 164-year-old organization. And the Providence promise is know me, care for me, ease my way. It's rooted in the concept of caring for people. We were, uh, our organization was set up by a group of nuns who traveled from Canada um, on the banks of, on the backs of donkeys to be able to help people they, they found out or they'd heard about in Montana and California who needed help. They came, they came here on, on donkey back. Um, they could barely speak English with with one mission in mind, which was to care for people. When I think about the Providence Promise, the know me, care for me, ease my way, it, 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 it's, it's almost, a, almost a touchstone of personalization. Know me is knowing things, knowing data, getting the, knowing having data about our customers. Care for me is u- utilizing that data to build experiences. And then ease my way is the reason why we build those experiences to be able to is their healthcare journey with us. So creating frictionless digital experiences is our end goal, how we define it. I think the finish line, so to speak, um, shifts every six months as we get our hands on new technology, whether it's AI or machine learning. Um, it, it shifts every six months and I, I can't wait to see the things that we're going to build, especially in healthcare. Healthcare is hard. Yeah, but what's interesting, Suela, is you're talking about linking all of this to your mission, um, which I think I'm finding to be really valuable. I'm I'm actually not a technologist by background. I'm really, you know, a, a marketer who fell into this um, area and trying to understand all this data and technology. And what one of the things I found is the, the uh, what the the range of what you can do is sort of infinite. There's so much you can do. And then it's like, how do you filter? How do you choose, you know, what, who to partner with, what capabilities? And it, it ends up, I found, having to get rooted back up to your strategy and your mission. And um, even though, again, we're two different companies, our mission um, uh, is just we, we make everyday life better every day. Because we operate in a very different space, which is everyday products is what we do. But but we help make these very everyday moments better. And so in a similar way, we just think the end goal for us, our end goal, therefore, is always just helping a consumer to meet their goal, make their life better every day, help them meet their goal. And if we can help them reach their goal, it helps us reach our goals. And so... 
personalization isn't an end into itself. It's just a super awesome tool to get to that outcome. Um, I just give you another example. Um, Kingsford is one of our brands and we do weather triggered ads, which is fairly common um, because we've learned <clears throat> that grilling is very, of course, weather dependent, but it, that varies by zip code. So if you live in Seattle, as long as it's like above 50, you're grilling. 50 and not raining and grilling. But if you're in Florida, it better be above 80 and not a cloud in the sky. Totally different. So we will use the weather um, to trigger ads in zip code by zip code where we know it's the weather for that area that's conducive to grilling. And digital lets us do that. It lets us serve up an ad reminds you that the weather is going to be great this weekend in St. Louis. Remember, check your charcoal. Oh, by the way, here's a recipe. And also, if you need any how-to, um, here's a how-to about you know, how to start the, the barbecue or, or whatever. Um, so these things are all... So all of it just lets us understand the consumer better, react faster, less friction, um, and helps us get to their get to their goal. And it's just a tool, an amazing tool that we never, you know, had before. But the end goal is always to help them like have an awesome weekend with their friends in their backyard, connecting with their friends and family because they were able to barbecue. That's fascinating. I, and it's, I might be getting ahead of your strategy, but I don't know if you guys have considered selling shorts because you could probably put that on the back end of the same engine, I think the same, you know, I live here in Seattle. I think the same Seattle, Florida principles apply, but it's fascinating. I mean, I love what both of you said about connecting uh, and, and using personalization and digital to deliver against your missions. It's so simple and obvious, yet I, I don't know that everyone's thinking about it that way. And it's such a comforting way to think about it. And Shweta, I love the story about the... Uh, Spanish flu and traveling to provide care on the backs of donkeys. And it's, you know, just so happens that we are in the midst of another, you know, unprecedented time in global health. And I can say for myself that telehealth appointments and Clorox wipes have been two of my most prized digital transactions in the last month. <laughs> so as we see consumers' appetite for digital health and digital commerce increasing during this time, you know, I wasn't doing either of those things three months ago. How is that behavior shift Im impacting your approach to personalized experiences in the context of, of using personalized experiences to further your missions? And, and what challenges are coming with that? My, my time at Providence is actually my first stint in healthcare. I've spent my entire time in or career in e-commerce before this. And from the entirety of my time in healthcare, I've been hearing about digital transformation and that's the next big thing and how we need to uh, need to really accelerate digital transformation in healthcare. And you know, nothing has accelerated transformation as much as the coronavirus has. Um, getting, trying to get telehealth visits adoption in our, in our uh, consumer base was, was only passable at best because uh, much much like the traditional sense when you want to see your physician you want you want to see your physician you want your physician to be able to take your pulse or do whatever 
it, it's a very face-to-face -face type of thing. But but the coronavirus has changed all that, just like you said, Kelly. So at Providence, we've seen more telehealth visits in one month than we'd seen the entire past year. It's been incredible. And what what this means is it's become even more important to create better digital experiences because the new normal is going to look very, very different than the olden days, <laughs> three months ago, what the days used to look like. Um, and then attributes that were once considered kind of the gold standard for customer experience excellence are now really becoming table stakes. Um, so we we are thinking long and hard about how we're going to number one really drive things faster and make things simpler simpler for our uh, for our consumers in in any way possible. That that is I think going to be the very first goal for personalization for us, which is a simplification of the healthcare experience. Like I like I said before, healthcare is hard. The healthcare experience as a for a consumer is hard. That's one of the reasons why I'm in healthcare, because I wanted to come here and be part of the solution. Um, and so we're we're going to we're going to really focus on simplification. We're going to be using a lot more AI to power a lot of our experiences. There are um I think the second part of your question was what are the challenges that come with wanting to do this? And I I foresee or I see two key challenges that we are going to need to address. And Doug, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're thinking about these two. One is personalization is, is an investment. It's an investment it's a investment into technology platforms and it's an investment of time of people towards an end. Attributing improvements or ROI, return on investment for personalization is really hard. And our stakeholders lose confidence when there's no way to validate the ROI. And at a time like this, um, my CFO is looking at me more closer than they ever have before with very, very good reason. So that's the first challenge. How do we attribute any ROI to personalization? And then the second piece is around the privacy legislation, like the GDPR in Europe. Um, there's other uh, California protection laws coming into place also. And then we have technology companies like Google announcing that they're phasing out third-party cookies from its Chrome browser, just like Apple always has. And that means we are going to have to lean even more heavily on our first-party data. So how do we navigate these two challenges? How well we navigate these two challenges is going to become a key point in how well we do personalization. Yeah, totally agree. I also agree the basic observation that um, this environment has, it, it's less changed the importance of digital and um, or the nature of it and personalization. It's more just accelerated the trends. Um, just like Sweda said, it's just pulled up, you know, things. So for instance, for us, um, online grocery shopping, I guess maybe that's the equivalent of our telemedicine is you know we that that's been a slow build so you know maybe order at Safeway or your local grocery store and go pick up or have it delivered and that's been a little bit slower than you know adoption of something like Amazon and I think the industry is now today where it figured it would be in terms of adoption like seven years from now so it's this huge acceleration of that huge acceleration of um, of course digital consumption of, of media. Um, 
you know, the other thing for us, we're just really fortunate um, that our business is actually growing because of the need for a lot of our products. And so actually our, our consumer base is becoming bigger and bigger. And therefore, there's more, um, it's more homogeneous. So the need to personalize within the consumer base, particularly a brand like Clorox, which is really large, and there's a lot of diversity of the buying um, population. So, so personalization has just become actually more important. Digital has become more important, um, but not in not so much in new ways, and more that it's accelerated. And then that, but that brings up actually exactly what Sweater was saying. Um, yeah, there's two, two challenges um, or three. Two of them are the same that were mentioned. You know, the one of them is just this balancing we have to deliver the business which is really hard because for us there's a supply problem and you know for other people the challenges are you know more uh you know just trying to keep things going for us um it's about being able to supply product in a lot of our categories so the the business teams are just trying to keep the engine running and putting a a transformation effort on top of that is really hard (laughs) So how do you maintain some focus? So we're really trying to sort of feel our way into the right balance of um, of running and keeping the engine going while trying to layer on this transformation. And then and that gets to this question about ROI. Our experience has been a little different than what Shweta mentioned. It's helped to, I think, narrow down what are the most important digital investments because we always have a giant list of things that we want to invest in and it's hard to prioritize and um because we have a lot you know there's a lot to do and this has gotten it to be clear of what's really important to invest in um so i suspect what will happen for us is we'll invest in a narrower set of things but more deeply to get those really going and interestingly, the discussion on ROI for us has actually kind of relaxed a bit, I would say, versus what Shweta mentioned, which I can understand, you know, more um, scrutiny on what, what are these budgets producing. Um, but I think where our mindset has been, okay, we've got this huge acceleration, once in a lifetime, time to capitalize and lean into this. And some of the measurement systems just don't exist. So we have to just believe that this is strategically right and operationally right. And we're going to probably not, we're going to have to make decisions with less uh, rigor around these ROI measurements, which which is not at all the norm in, in CPG, which is a very mature and therefore very disciplined and measurement oriented business. Um, so that's been a little bit of a different experience. And, Kind of nice <laughs> privacy, huge issue. Um, you know, we our team, we, we, you know, the, the CCPA. Um, it's less for us. The privacy issue is less that it interferes with our ability to personalize because, as I said, we're doing a lot of kind of mass customization things that are. Um, we, we don't deal with a lot of sensitive data. We don't do a lot of direct to consumer. We're not fulfilling a lot of purchases. We're not collecting a lot of sensitive data. It's more. It's just a. It's a, it's a big manpower effort to to really you know to understand and comply um, with some of these regulations. Just is. A, I mean, it's good. We're we're all in on it. It's it's this is the it's the right thing to do. But it's um, it's a large, ongoing undertaking. To and another thing that gets layered onto the cake. 
Totally. It's it's so fascinating to hear where your challenges intersect and overlap. I'm sure many of the folks listening to us today can relate to some of the challenges you're facing, as well as the need to figure out how to prioritize their digital investments and, you know, bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier, how to simplify those personalization and personalized experiences to deliver against their mission or reason for existing, right? It's not just corporations with well-forged data practices that can implement personalized experiences. So for our listeners who might be tech innovators or entrepreneurs in and outside of healthcare, uh, I'd love to do a quick thought exercise. Approaching marketing this way can be such a valuable strategy for them to drive hypergrowth and loyalty. So if the two of you were to quit tomorrow, which I know must be a crazy idea to you, Doug, after almost 33 years at one company, but let's just explore that for a minute. Uh, and you were to embark on an entrepreneurial venture together, what personalized experience tactics would you prioritize, assuming you had limited time and resources? You know, I the first thought that comes to mind is related to what I was saying earlier. And I'd want to build something that would be in service to people like Doug and me, which is a mechanism for measuring that ROI. So much so much investment comes down to really being able to demonstrate the value behind it. And I I could be wrong, but as far as I know, there's not really any technology that exists that reliably can convince like I said, my CFO of that 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 investing in personalization is is meaningful. I'd want to build that with you, Doug, if you were game. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I think, yeah, whoever cracks that is in good shape for their retirement. Yeah, for me, um, I'm not sure of the specific, but I think from a, a way of thinking about it, the, I, what I find these, a lot of the really successful entrepreneurs have done is back to consumer experience. They've just, they've just identified in their own life a really crappy experience. And they've just figured out if we were to re-engineer that experience and use uh, digital technology to improve that experience, what could they do? And that's like the famous story of Casper mattresses, crappy experience going to a, a, a mattress store and, well, could, could you move that online? And, you know, all of a sudden, boom. And so I think that's sort of the way I would think about it. Um, the, the one that comes most just on the top of my mind, it's not really a private sector, but it's just a lot of our experiences with, um, you know, like the DMV and these places, you know, where technology has been underinvested in and those experiences are really, really, really painful. And if you could, uh, improve the consumer experience using digital technology of, of some of, some of the, um, public sector interactions like the DMV, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, it's so interesting because the painful or crappy experiences, it's it's relative to time, right? I mean, the way that we encountered and managed healthcare or bought our home products 30 years ago would be unacceptable to almost any consumer today, right? The notion that I wouldn't have a patient portal, right? Or couldn't order from Amazon or my grocery store or what have you. And what you mentioned, Doug, as far as, you know, the DMV or some of the uh, 
some of those experiences, they really haven't changed with time. So it's, is it looking at some of the things that haven't changed or innovated uh, because there hasn't been that bottom line pressure to, and do you think that's why? Um, and then how would you apply personalization to making that more meaningful? Like, let's take the DMV, for example. I do think that um, this is, the, the bar is just constantly going up for all of us because it exists. We can go on to Netflix, we can go on to Amazon. We've just been trained. And so I think you, when you see entire industries being flattened, it's because they just haven't caught up to the way that we all live now. And I think that that is, I mean, it's a great way of just analyzing it, that you've got certain pockets where the delta between what we're used to in one part of our life and this other part are so different. You think, why can't this be online? I can buy a car online. I can go and I can get a giant mortgage and buy a house online, but I can't like vote or do my driver's license. It's just, you know, it suddenly seems so crazy. And I think this is why people just have no patience for things because all these innovators have given us these unbelievable experiences that have just set a new bar. And those bar, that bar is constantly moving. It's constantly getting better, which is why companies like ours or Sweda's, you know, old companies were 105 years old. She, her company's even older. If we don't move at the speed of the consumer, then you're just another headline in the business section saying chapter 11. In terms of how you would actually solve a DMV type experience, the first thing that came to mind, I, my my head went there right away, was um, if they could, I, I, I feel like they could deliver proactive customer service for at least half of their interactions, their phone calls and interactions using natural language processing and AI. They could use both of those things to enable both process orchestration and continuous intelligence that then refines the answers that are delivered to people who are calling with the same questions. That, that just seems doable today, right now. So I hope someone from the DMV is here listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just renewed my license. So I think that means in five years, I'm up for it again. And I'm counting on you two <laughs> to make that experience better. And I can't wait to see what you guys do together. I think you're off to a running start. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shweta and Doug. This has been a fascinating conversation. I certainly learned a lot and my mind is open to thinking about personalized experiences in an entirely different way. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Think Tank Podcast brought to you by the Digital Innovation Group at Providence Health. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or follow us on Twitter at Prov Innovation for more discussion about how digital can inspire solutions to some of our biggest challenges. I'm your host, Kelly Stonelake. Until next time, take care. <laughs>